This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Draft Deeper podcast on the No Ceilings NBA podcast feed. Nathan Gruvel is not here this week, but don't worry. It's Maxwell Baumbach. I'm here and tried to get the heaviest hitter I could to, to fill Nathan's shoes when he's gone. You know him from the box and one. You know him from the uh, Game Theory podcast with Sam Vecini. I can't believe I almost blinked out on that when that's like the big podcast that got me into this draft space. It is Coach Adam Spinella. Coach Spins, how are you doing today? Oh, Max, thanks so much for having me on here. I don't know about heavy hitter. I weigh 180 pounds, but I'm happy to, <laughs> yeah. to do what I can to try to punch above my weight class here today. For sure. For sure. Super, super excited to have you on. Um, and on this episode, we're going to be talking about uh, the last article that I put out. Um, part of the No Stone Unturned series. This first edition is covering the big men. Um, so this series, if you're unfamiliar with it, um, started it last year doing it again this year. And the premise is taking a look at players that are largely outside of the mainstream draft conversation. So we're talking people that are not on early mock drafts, not in early top one hundreds and just generally don't get a lot of love or attention. Um, But our guys that I see is having NBA potential at at various levels, whether it's a guy like this guy might get a cup of coffee or this guy could be there in a few years, or I think this guy's draftable right now. Um, it's, it's kind of a fun, fun range. And the big man group was really interesting this year. And uh, Adam, I know that there were a couple guys in this group in particular that you wanted to talk about. I kind of ran the list by you early this year. Right. Um, yeah. And there were a couple of guys that, that stood out to you. So, well, um, and, and Max, before we, we go into that stuff, I just want to give you uh, all of the flowers that you deserve for starting this series and the work that goes into it, because it's incredibly helpful and to see the depth that you go to, to to get to know each prospect and player, whether it's watching film, interviewing coaches or people that are around them, uh, you really get to very cleanly and very early on figure out who these guys are. And it's it's such a service to the draft community as a whole, but I admire the work that you have done on this uh, No Stone Unturned series last year and, and was thrilled to see it come back this summer. Yeah, thank you. I'm I'm really excited as well, and I, I really appreciate those kind words. It's it's my favorite thing to do, um, just because I, I think it's one like really fun to just like get to shine a light on guys. Yeah. And most of the guys in the series are generally really appreciative of it a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, to your point, like I love getting to talk to anybody. And this year, because I started a little bit earlier, securing interviews has been a little bit harder, just because teams aren't together, teams are traveling, like logistically it's been a little bit more difficult and like there's uh, a player I'm covering in my next article where we weren't able to work out an interview for this one, but he has a teammate that I'm being covering that I'm covering later in the series. So we are going to get one with him, but um, just getting to pick the brains of prospects and, and you kind of get a feel for like, do they know what they need to work on? What do they care about? What do they think they do best? And then the same thing with hearing it from a coach, like 
you can you can learn a lot from how a coach speaks about a player too. So yeah. um, definitely one of my favorite elements of this series, and I'm hoping, hoping, hoping that that kind of continues to pick up steam. But definitely got an interview, and in this article that we're going to talk about today, got an interview for the one that's coming out next week. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna leak the names at the end, so we'll get an, an early uh, early list on part one of the wings here at the end. So all right. Uh, but without further ado, let's let's get into this year's group. Um, so my top rated prospect out of this group was Amari Williams from Drexel. Uh, the second stone, as I call him. He was the only guy I, I included again who was in the series last year. Because I included him last year. I was like, oh, that's an interesting multi-year guy. And now I think I think he's going to be ready after this year. So um, Amari Williams is a 6'10 center from Drexel. Uh, weighs like 250, 260. Big, bricked up dude. Uh, really strong. Can move his feet very well. Um, scored 13.7 points, 8.8 rebounds, 2.3 assists, 2.2 blocks, and 1.4 steals per game. So a very highly productive defensive player. Um, Two-time CAA Defensive Player of the Year at this point. Uh, Had a steal rate over three, block rate over eight. Um, Had the best defensive rating in the country this past season. Um, but can also pass a little bit. I uh, had an assist rate over 20. First guy in the last decade to have an assist rate over 20 with a steal and block rate that high. Uh, so there's some interesting feel stuff. Um, and I, I love the frame. I, I think he's just simply ready for NBA physicality. And I think that even if he's playing in a smaller league, that type of defensive production is is special. And it's not something that you see. And even if you have concerns about, okay, he's playing in a smaller league. When people blow the competition out of the water, I think that matters. And that's what Amari Williams has done. And when they've played high major teams, he's he's done really well. Um, There was a game against uh, Temple where he had 18 and six with a block and a steal, 14 and 11 against Seton Hall with three assists, two seals and two blocks. He's not like a can crusher. Like it's not like, oh, he feasts on the smaller teams and he plays the good teams and crumbles. I I think he's the real deal. Adam, what are your... uh, Big picture thoughts on Amari Williams. Yeah, I think the defensive end of the floor is obviously where he shines. Just really uh, disciplined and smart on that end of the floor. His angles, his positioning is always really strong. He He's a strong shot blocker. And I think from you know watching a couple clips and games of him and then reading the No Stones on turn piece, it seems like he could block more shots. It, it does feel yeah. like there's there's room for him to be continuing to get better or more statistically impactful on the defensive end of the floor. But it's really rare to find a guy as big, as strong, and as disciplined on the defensive end as he is. Um, You know, I'm trying to keep up with you here, Maxwell, and do Mm -hmm. like the best I can to bring some of these nuanced nuggets to the table. So like, (laughs) here's here's the little bit I got here, Mm because I I know a couple of the guys that are on the Drexel staff or have been on the Mm -hmm. Drexel staff the last couple of years. Zach Spiker, their head coach, is mm-hmm. one hell of a defensive coach. Yes. That there, yeah. there is no other guy kind of around that colonial, like mid-major-ish tier level who I would trust to coach up a defensive player into somebody great like Spiker. So for him to be able to, to get a guy like Amari Williams for multiple years, where this is mm-hmm. not a kid who is looking to bounce up to the next level, that there's some bond that he feels at Drexel that there's something really rewarding about going back and continuing to learn from a guy like Spiker. I think that says a lot about Williams, but I really trust the background that he's coming from here because you know the the defensive coaching and the acumen that he's getting from Spike at Drexel is so high. Uh, offensively, there's a lot to like too, but like the mm-hmm. defense is really what won me over with Amari. 
for sure. And I, I think that's the big thing. And like you mentioned some of the angles and things like that, when he is out on the perimeter, he is very comfortable. Yep. Um, like the way that he moves his feet for somebody his size, is like it looks fake at times. Like it's, it's really, really impressive. Um, and he also is able to jump passing lanes really well, which is something you just don't see from big men. And it's just like a regular occurrence as a part of his game. It's like, Oh, you threw a lazy skip pass. I'm going to get that one. Yep. Um, and yeah, to your point with, with him staying at Drexel, I, I think it's great. And this is going to be kind of a recurring theme. Like there's a couple guys where, um, you know, if they, if they would have gone out last year, like they could have been top 100 guys, which part of that is their talent. Part of that is also like the back end of the top 100 was pretty weak last year. Yeah. Um, but I do think there is something for your long-term development to stay where, you know, there's going to be resources put into you. And when you are in a situation where you know that you've improved before, um, I think there's real value in that verse. Like I'm going to go up and play at a big team and I'm not really going to have the same amount of attention on me. I'm not going to be a focal point. And, you know, in theory, you might have a bigger spotlight on you and you're, you might be making a whole lot more money <laughs> in, in some cases too, uh, which I'm not going to fault anybody for, for going and getting a bag and, right. and getting paid more money. Um, but just like from a pure basketball standpoint, I think there's real value in staying at a place where you continue yeah. to get better. And that's what we've seen every year from Amari well, and, and with Amari as an international guy as well, like the, mm-hmm. the NIL stuff is going to be a little bit there, different. Yeah. It might not mm-hmm. be there for him. So betting on development and comfort and knowing that he's going to be used in the right right manner is really important for him. I think that, that shows in his continual improvement to become a dominant player on the defensive end, which I'm hoping he can take another step this year because that would – remove all doubt that he's a top 40, top 45 guy. But I also think it it speaks to the way Drexel has really played through him on the offensive end and let his passing really pop in both high post and low post touches. Yeah. So let's talk about the passing a little bit because it is, it is really interesting. Um, He had some really interesting flashes as a passer last year. I thought, Um, and it's something I noted at the time is that he was like really able to see some stuff and really whip the ball around And then this year was when it sort of became like, oh, he can be a hub at the college level. Like you can really run some things through him out of the high post, finding those guys going back door, or if it's in the post and like, he's just so much bigger and stronger than guys in that league that like they have to send a double and he knows how to react to that. And um, yeah, I I think the passing is a real positive of his. Um, My question for you is like, one, he, he did turn it over quite a bit still. Um, and two, the fact that like he is operating much more frequently as a post-up guy than as like a short roll passer or something yes. like that. Do you have any concerns about how he passes being part of like a translatable skill set to the next level? Yeah, so I, I think that's always something that we as evaluators have to be concerned with, right? Where are their touches coming from? How translatable are the touches they're getting now into being used in an NBA or a professional type of scheme. What I've always started to, to really default back to the last year or two is that feel and high processing ability are very translatable. You can put guys in different situations and they'll make those reads. I think Amari is a, a pretty quick processor of the game. Maybe not the quickest in terms of big men that we've seen. Like I think mm-hmm. of Travion Williams at Purdue yeah, as being yeah. the smartest, fastest guy where I know his passing and playmaking is going to translate in so many different avenues or roles. But what I'm always really intrigued with in watching Amari Williams play 
is the accuracy of many of his passes, that he throws them on time and on target. He threads needles to backdoor cutters. He's able to hit guys in their shooting pocket time and time again. I, I really like a lot of those passing traits to the point mm-hmm. where I'm much more willing to bet on him in a short roll or a you know top-of-the-key delay action type of, of facilitation as opposed to some other big men in college. For sure, and I, I think that's fair, and I think – a lot of times, too, I, I think we have to remind ourselves that just because we don't see a guy doing something as often doesn't mean they can't do it. Um, and if you're showing the feel in other areas, I'm a little more willing to buy it versus like, uh, I'm trying to think of an example, like a guy, um, let's say like a Dembona, for example, just like sure. a, take another another big, yep. like a Dembona, not that he's like a super negative field player, but he had a very low assist rate and like mm-hmm. he didn't really show any sort of high level passing feel. So it's harder to project him as being a guy that's going to really dish the ball right. out of, you know, short roll schemes or things like that. Or he's really going to initiate handoffs and delays and things like that. Like that's just not going to be his game. Um, right. With Amari, the fact that he's shown it out of the post and has shown some like real top of the key chops makes it a little bit more easy to comprehend coming together. Yeah. No um, doubt about it. Where are you at on the shot? That was the next thing. So I, I want to talk about just like his general scoring efficiency as a whole. Cause like, if you're looking at like true shooting effective field goal percentage, like that's the one thing that's scary is cause it's, it's a pretty low numbers and it's a guy who plays in a smaller conference. I do think the role plays a part in that, right? Like he does have to play out of the post a lot. Post ups generally aren't super efficient scoring opportunities. Uh, and he is getting a lot of attention. So I don't think he's going to be like a floor spacer. Um, I think you're really hoping that he can find his groove as like a role man. I, 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 I don't know if that sounds a little too pessimistic, but um, never been great at the charity stripe. Uh, and when I spoke with, with coach Zach Spiker, he did say that that is something that they're, that Amari is really keyed in on this, this season is he is shooting a ton of free throws and putting in a lot of work um, on that element of his game. Um, he's taken a three here and there. The shot, it looks weird. There's a lot of elbow action on it. I'm just not really convinced of that ever being a part of this game. And I think that's okay. I think with the yep. defense, if that scales up, all he needs to be is a play finisher. It's just a matter of like how efficiently can you finish plays? Yeah. I think for him in the NBA, it's much more about like low volume and high efficiency as opposed yep. to anything else. Like make the most out of your connective passing touches when you get them, but you need to be able to convert around the basket and finish at the free throw line. I think those are two really important pieces for him to keep developing. Mm -hmm. So we're going to uh, real quick, like any final thoughts on Amari and where do you have him on your board? Cause I do have him top 60. uh, As I said in my column, he is right around kind of that 50 mark for me. It's a very tentative board. I need to do a ton of work still on the incoming guys. Um, But that's around where I have him currently. Yeah, so I don't really have a board that gets formalized until the November, December, January period. A huge part of that is just because I haven't watched enough players in this class to be able to make definitive statements over who would I take, you know, in comparison to this guy. I think that just in watching the way that Amari Williams plays, he is a top 60-ish type of guy for me. Mm -hmm. I think that if I feel a little bit more comfortable with the offense translating in a, in a reliable and efficient way, he's probably top 45. Like I think his defense really is that good where he belongs in the conversation with guys like an Adem Bona, a Duran Holmes, some of the other big men that are getting a lot of looks as returners this year. Uh, I'm a big, big, big fan of his game. 
Yeah, I'm completely with you right there. Uh, so we are going to take our first break of the show here. And coming up after this, we're going to talk about one of Adam's favorite players in this whole series. So stay tuned for that. Nerds. Today's episode is sponsored by NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Ready to expand your financial game? NerdWallet can coach you on smart strategies like choosing investments, finding your next credit card, and setting a budget that works for you. Score major points towards your summer vacation by learning expert tips for choosing a high-yield savings account and how to build wealth by investing in index funds. Slide into summer with smarter decisions in 2024. Follow NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right. So up next, we are going to talk about a player that I basically was like publicly telling people was going to be in the series uh, by the time I rolled around because I caught a couple of his games. And I was like, I, I love this man. Uh, mm-hmm. He is Aziz Bendiago. He had played at Utah Valley last season. Um, he is seven feet tall, uh, pretty skinny. Uh, he's going to be transferring to Cincinnati this year. We're going to touch on that in a minute. Uh, but this past season, he averaged a double-double, 11.5 points per game, 10.4 rebounds per game, 1.2 assists to 1.6 turnovers, nearly three blocks per game, 2.9 blocks and 0.5 steals. Uh, very efficient as a finisher, 60% from the field. Uh, took a couple threes, was 33.3% from three and 63.6% from the free throw line. Uh, had played, it, played a good number of quad one opposition did well in those games for the most part and was a big part of their NIT run down the stretch. Um, really good uh, athlete, very mobile, very quick for his size and flies off the floor. Uh, so we're talking rim protection. We are talking lob catching and finishing. And we're talking a little bit of, of mobility on the perimeter, being able yeah. to switch out into guys and tremendous recovery when he does get beat in those situations because he is so long and so fast He's never really out of the picture uh, and his motor's really high. Uh, so he's not a guy that is, you know, always oh, super athletic, but like sometimes he just doesn't show up. This guy doesn't take a playoff. It's, it's all energy all the time. Uh, Aziz is a guy that you've been high on for some time, Adam. Yeah. So I'll kind of give you the floor. What, what do you see in Aziz Mediago? So with Aziz and any other big man for the NBA, I keep looking for scheme versatility on the yep. defensive end of the floor. That is the box that I want to check. I think the NBA is trending simultaneously towards like more size with skill combinations and guards who are unbelievable at picking apart drop coverage. And those two things mean you probably need to be able to switch or at least show and recover a little bit more on ball screens, which challenges this typical seven foot big man who doesn't move their feet well on the perimeter. Mm -hmm. So for a guy like Aziz, the way that he moves his feet in space, he can switch in some regards. He's pretty impactful if he has to show on the perimeter and he's got that pogo stick like impact as a rim protector. I think he checks so many boxes for where the modern NBA is heading. Uh, 
Offensively, it is that screen and roll type of of utilization for him. He's not a guy I want to be playing with the ball in his hands a ton. There's a little bit of short roll passing reads that we've seen here and there, but uh, I think he's going to be much more of a lob catcher and finisher than anything else at the next level. I mean, he he did shoot 33% from three on like the lowest of volumes that you could find, but he was essentially dared to take those shots. Yeah. And he, he, you, he took an hour and a half to get him up. Like, <laughs> you know, he'd start his release with 25 on the shot clock and the ball releases from his hands with 13 on the shot clock. Like it takes forever. <laughs> it takes forever for that shot to go off. But like regardless of that stuff, I mentioned, uh, you know, in the segment prior talking about Amari Williams, the impact of playing for a great defensive coach. Yeah, yeah. Mark Madsen at Utah Oof. Valley, who has now moved on to Cal and is a, a he's got some talent coach. there too. Yeah, that that's, guy to be a good team. That guy has coached his ass off at Utah Valley, and you can see the NBA pedigree that he had and all the little tricks in his trade to stick in the NBA for as long as Madsen did have now rubbed off on Aziz. After one short year at Utah Valley, he became much more disciplined. I think he avoided fouls in a little bit better area. And to stay disciplined while being that energizer bunny, that guy whose motor does not shut off, it's a mental switch more than anything. It's really hard to do. That's a fine line to walk. I thought Aziz did it really, really well. And and the last thing that I'll say on him before I turn it back over to the real host of the show, um, I find nothing to be more convincing of believing in a player than when they transfer to a school that got beat by them in the year Mm -hmm. that when a coaching staff look at looks at this kid and says holy crap this guy just beat us in he was so impactful we need to make sure that we have him that's kind of what happened here at cincinnati they faced off in the nit utah valley beat them 15 points 12 rebounds four blocks in that game I thought he was everywhere on the defensive end, particularly early, and then closed yeah. it out in a fashion that did not let Cincinnati come back into that game. That was one that I watched, and I remember saying, I have been won over by Aziz Bandego. I see Cincinnati is now that he's heading there. He's awesome. He's really fun. Yeah, it was one of those games where I was tuning into it primarily to watch Landers Nolly. Um, and I, I'd seen Bandiego uh, – a few times prior to that. And he was the guy that I was, I was starting to become enamored with like throughout the NIT um, and a little bit before that. But yeah, it was just one of those games where you can't take your eye off when he's on the court, especially in a game like that, where it's like the next best prospect on the floor is like a two way kind of guy in Landers Nolly. And as he's, he's just everywhere, man, like he, he is able to cover ground and get to so many shots and things you just don't expect him to. Um, I talked about him on an island earlier. He was uh, sad. I just pulled up from, from notes here. Opponents were four for 25 against him on isolation. Possession. Yeah. Yep. So you like have him one-on-one, like you cannot do anything. So like, you're talking about like that scheme versatility and it's like, yeah, that's the guy who's going to be fine when he switched down. Um, he, one- he reminds me of, of Rob Williams for the Celtics in that regard. We're like, he's, he's much more of a rim protector shot blocker, but like if you have to, put him guarding the corner so that he can be that rotation guy and a team tries to exploit him off the bounce, he's going to be okay. If you have to switch on ball screens, he's going to be okay. I I really like the defensive upside. For sure. Yeah, I I do too. Um, One thing I do want to touch on uh, because it is uh, something that I noted as a concern is his weight where he is, he's 225. He's really thin, can get bumped around a little bit. 
do you have concerns about that at the NBA level at all? Or is that something that you're like, he's, he's going to fill out. He's young. I tend to always be the optimist and whether that's just because I think people's bodies and I, you know, I've worked with guys at the age of 18 to 22 for so long that Mm -hmm. they, they look night and day different by the time they're seniors or they're, they're on the other end of that thing. Aziz isn't on the younger end of that spectrum. So he's definitely got to be able to add weight a little bit sooner rather than later. I think he's slightly thin, but not enough mm-hmm. to the point where I would be worried about him having a positive impact. Like his For game sure, is, yeah. is built off of mobility. Yeah. That's I, the other I, thing I, too, is it's you're kind of threading a needle. It's like you don't want to get him yes. bulky. Well, and and how many bigs in the NBA are guys that are just going to take you down one on one on the post and, and try to outmuscle you? Like maybe there's three or four that you're going mm-hmm. against in the league. Like obviously a guy like Embiid, maybe Valanciunas will do it on a good night, mm-hmm. but there aren't too many guys who still play that type of style. So I'm not overwhelmingly worried about him being hunted in, in that regard. For sure, yeah, I, I think that's completely fair. Um, he got a little bit more comfortable as the year went on, as far as like running handoffs and making passes and things like that. Do you see that as being like a real upside area or do you, cause like this is the first year he's had real offensive responsibilities. Like he started off as a freshman at Akron plays seven games his first year yeah. next year plays 33, but he's only playing 12 minutes a game. Uh, has like a one to four assist to turnover ratio. And now that like, he looks like he's just like a fine decision maker, like not good, not horrible. Um, do you think that's like an upside area or do you think like that? Nah, probably not like it, it, that. He's just going to be serviceable in that respect. I think serviceable is the better word. And for me, that comes down to the threshold continuing to rise as you get to higher levels of basketball. Yeah. Like the, what type of a playmaker and processor you have to be in order to command the basketball in your hands on one of the best 30 teams in the world. That's a really high bar to clear. I don't think that he's shown enough to get there yet. Like there is enough feel to say, that if he touches it, it's probably not a disaster, mm-hmm. but I don't think that you design stuff around him to be a playmaker. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in a similar boat. Um, then kind of the elephant in the room, unfortunate part of the situation is the NCAA transfer rules. So Aziz is at Akron for two years. He does not have a very important role on the team. So he transfers to Utah Valley. The coach leaves so understandably he wants to go somewhere else and now he has to get an eligibility waiver. I think this stinks. I think if your coach leaves, it should be a free pass. Um, But he might not get to play this year. If, if that is the case, do you think there is any potential argument for him still coming out in the draft or do you think you, you can't, can't do that? I have no idea. I am not as good at, agents or people who kind of survey the landscape and and mm-hmm. get the feel for how to create the buzz that would be needed to offset missing a year. I think that it's possible in the right situation. Like, look, we just saw Memphis lose one of their big transfer commits into Folly Lenard, who is yeah. you know, trying to engage in pro basketball right now and, and forgo his college eligibility I wouldn't be shocked if something like that maybe ended up being a, a okay. potential pathway yeah. for yeah. Aziz where he gets denied an NCAA waiver and says, you know what, I'm just going to go play and train for a year and know that the draft is where I'm aiming to go. That mm-hmm. wouldn't shock me either. But yeah, uh, I'm not saying I have any information or intel sure, on that. Sure. Like that's that's not an aggregation thing on here by any means. Please don't quote me. But <laughs> I think that there are ways for him to be creative if the NBA is really his goal for for the next step or at least the step a year from now. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's actually very interesting. I hadn't considered that as a possibility, but I think it's something that should be on the table, but hopefully the NCAA just gives him a waiver. If if he does, I do think he is going to make a real top 60 push. Are you in a a similar boat? I very much am. I think that he could even make, if he plays a top 30 push, Um, I'm I'm a really, really big fan of the defense. So it's not like, Oh, he's a senior or whatever. It's like, yeah, but he just got good (laughs) like that last year. Like this might be a a case of a guy who's just on a different developmental trajectory. No doubt about it. And he's going to be playing in the big 12. I think that's the other Mm -hmm. part of this conversation. Cincinnati is going into a brand new ball game and league where you're going against the best of the best. If you hold up in the big 12, that carries a lot of weight for me. For sure. I agree completely. We're going to take one more break here. After that, we're going to run through uh, the final three big men that we covered in this, that I covered in this piece. We're going to talk about some of the uh, upcoming guys in the next article, and we're going to do some plugs, talk about all of Adam's work that he's got going on. So stay right here with us. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. All right. So the next guy that was up here uh, was Micah Han Logton. He was a kind of out of nowhere fun surprise last season. Uh, So he came out of South Carolina, um, son of a former NBA player, Ben Had Logton, who was with the uh, Utah Jazz for a couple of years. Uh, Plays for this loaded Adidas circuit team alongside people like Julian Phillips, um, but doesn't really do a ton for them. Uh, gets a lot of accolades in the state of South Carolina, but it's not like it's not Texas. You know what I mean? As far yeah, as that's what seven footers do. Yeah. 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 So uh, gets a three-star ranking uh, gets offers from Jacksonville, Youngstown state Presbyterian and American and goes to Marshall, which is the biggest of those programs, which can be dangerous. You're playing with fire a little bit when you go to the biggest school on your list. Uh, and he just blows the doors off of everybody wins uh, freshman of the year in the Sun Belt. Uh, averages 7.6 points, almost 10 rebounds, 1.2 assists, 1.3 turnovers, 2.3 blocks, 1.3 steals. Uh, defensively, very interesting. He is 7-1 uh, is where he's listed. Very tall, very long, and like not a guy who looks like he's going to fall apart when he's moving around the court. Um, got some, some fluidity to him. Looks natural and normal as a mover, which I know these are just like very basic words, but when you're getting to guys that are seven foot one, most of them aren't. And that's why Mike Hamilton is, is a special prospect. Uh, very, very sharp instincts defensively. Um, does a good job of uh, protecting the rim, blocks a lot of shots there. Has some real craft as far as preventing entry passes. Um, knowing when he can get into the penetrator's handle um marshall was a 95th percentile defensive team last season part of that is having a great defensive coach part of it is having mike hamilton um offensively showed really good touch um had adama sinogo ask numbers on his non-dunk finishes in the half court 72.9 percent on such attempts um good offensive rebounder obviously uses his length to get into every single thing on a basketball court um 
where are you at with Micah? Because he was somebody that a lot of people reached out to me about after I wrote the piece as far as being a lot higher on him potentially or being like, I'm in the exact same boat. It's, it's going to take a while. Um, what, what do you, where are you kind of at with Micah at the moment? I am on the it's going to take a while side more mm-hmm. than I am on the instant impact side. I don't know if I see him as a 2024 draft prospect. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of strides that players can make from one year to the next, so I don't want to write him off in any type of regard. But in thinking about Marshall's defense last year, there are two things that really pop in my mind. One is they made a conference adjustment to the Sun Belt, which is typically a little bit smaller of a league, mm-hmm. which means that when you're playing against – smaller bodies around you and you have that much length your rim protection and defensive numbers tend to stand out a little bit more so uh, that is just one thing that i i want to see another year of sample size to really get a feel for but the other part of that florida too it's it's worth noting i did not mention that at the top so he he did transfer up to florida so now we're talking sec ball instead of sunbelt that's right. So I want to give this a year before I'm making any proclamations on Handel Ogden being in a real draft range. But the the other thing that's interesting to me, and this is just that one small nugget that I hope I can bring to the table here, Marshall actually started two guys who are dominant shot blockers next to each other. And yeah. Obina and Achille Killen was mm-hmm. the, the other big man there. He's like 6'8", six, 6'9", six, but he's got really long arms and, and almost plays more like a rim-protecting big. I thought the way that Marshall was able to construct their defense with two guys who averaged over a a block per game really allowed them to always be a dominant defensive unit. So I don't necessarily look at Micah's team numbers from this past season at Marshall as proof of him being an unbelievably reliable rim protector. I think it has a lot to do with the league they played in as well as the multiple players on that roster that could protect the rim at any given time and allow them mm-hmm. to blanket each other while one was being exploited on the perimeter or sitting on the bench. For sure. And, um, you know, even a guy like Tavion Kinsey, where it's not yep. like, not like a, a big time shot blocker, but he's an athlete who can, can rotate to the rim when need be. Um, yeah, this, this was a really strong defensive team. Yeah. I mean, um, they were, they were sixth in the nation in uh, shots blocked a game. Six. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so um, I, I'm a big believer in what he is going to be defensively. I think one of those things like, yeah, like we've said, you can, you can look at the numbers on paper, but like, it is really important to remember that context as far as like who he was playing. Um, they did not play any quad one teams this season. It's the other thing too, just like the way that the schedule broke. So he doesn't quite have those games that you can point to with, um, yeah somebody like Amari or somebody like Aziz, yeah. like here, here's a time where he, he played a big school and like, he really let him have it. Um, I'm trying to pull up their schedule from this past season. And yeah, like even just like high major opponents there, I don't think there's a single one on here. Um, yeah. Very, very weak schedule yep. <laughs> uh, this past season. So it's, it's a big question as far as translating and scaling up. I also don't think he's in the same category as far as Amari Nazis in terms of moving his feet. I think they are yeah. much better athletes than him. I do want to put like the asterisk on this though, that like that was a miss for me and a lot of people in the draft space with Walker Kessler a couple of years ago sure. where like that was not necessarily his game was like defending in space and it's kind of still not. Um, but length does go a really, really long way. 
as far as just making up for those sort of deficiencies. How do you feel about Hanlokton guarding in space at the moment? You know, I, I don't feel great about it. I don't think that he's the worst I've seen. I don't think he's the best I've seen in any, in any regard, but there are a lack of the other outlier traits that I've seen to make me feel more comfortable. Like if mm-hmm. you're not going to be great in space, I want you to be incredibly springy off the floor. Like yeah. he's a good shot yeah. blocker, but he's not the most explosive guy. No. He weighs what? 190, 195 pounds. Like he's, he's the, he light. is the one guy who's yeah. very skinny and can get moved by low major picks to the point where yes. like one of those things has to give, you've got to get much more athletic, much quicker in space or, much stronger i think that if you're none of the three i think there are too many ways that you can be exploited even if you block shots on you know three out of ten challenges that come near you yeah what happens on the other seven well and and that was like one of the big things that stuck out for me going through the film and especially just looking at him guarding around the basket and like going through like oh here like i'm like putting together highlights let's look at all the shots he blocked and whatever and seeing like how many times he would block a shot but in blocking the shot, he would be bumped out of the way. And then the guy would just get an offensive rebound and put it right back up. And it's like, oh, well, okay, you you did block a shot, but the guy still scored. Um, being easy to move, is it's a very, very good way of putting it. Um, he, yeah, he just gets bumped around a lot. And um, yeah, if, if you're not going to move as well, I want to feel a lot better about that. Um and, and, and on offense too, like, uh, you know, he can, can pick up the ball because he'll be dribbling somewhere and then someone bumps into him and now he's picked it up or he's going to take a bad angle at the rim. And he, he does have really good touch. Like, like yeah. I said, like on yeah. those non dunk opportunities, he has to get touched, but it's like, okay, but now next year when you're getting bumped by a guy who's 235, 240 pounds and also seven feet tall and has a quick second jump that maybe they can bump you and still get up and contest, like then what's going to happen. Um, and I just have some real reservations on that front. Yeah. Um, weight caused him to get into foul trouble a lot as well. Um, four more fouls in 16 out of 32 games. So another thing where it's like, if you're caving at your chest, every time a guy drives into you, uh, Oh, sorry. My daughter's losing it a little bit there. Uh, what's going to happen when you're playing in the sec. Right. Right. I, I think that there's a lot of different areas that uh, like, I, I just, I want to see him improve. I know he needs to improve, but this is going to be a little bit more of a wait and see type of season for me. He's got those areas he needs to address and he's moving up to play in a much better conference in the SEC. I really trust the Florida staff and the way that they kind of identify talent. And I I think that there's going to be a lot of offensive firepower around him that his role on that end of the floor ends up being pretty simple, but defensively, I think that he knows that's where his next paycheck comes from. And He's got to get stronger. He's got to get a little bit quicker. He's got to avoid fouls in that regard. Those are some of the things I really want to see from him. For sure. Yeah. And I, I think it's doable. Um, but like I said in the article, it's just a guy where I'd rather like have him on my radar now and just kind of see where it goes down the road. I, I do think he has some interesting feel as a passer. I do like his touch, even if like the free throw and shooting stuff isn't there yet. I think there's a possibility it gets there. Um and like he's clearly really talented, really knows how to play defense. I think it's just a matter of time to win on some of the physical things to come together for him. Yep. Yep. Um, so we're going to kind of keep going down the list here. The next guy I had on here was Joel, uh, Joel Soriano at St. John's um, Soriano 
one of those guys who's sort of like a known commodity to college fans, but just like never comes up in draft discussions. And I kind of think that should change. I think he's my hot take is I think he's like a more interesting pro prospect than guys like Sheboy and Timmy were last year. Um, which I, I get like, there's yeah. certain things that like, he's not quite as productive as Oscar. He's not as polished or offensively skilled as Timmy, but I think he's better at a lot of NBA things than those guys. Um, so Soriano averaged 15.2 points and 11.9 rebounds last season. Double, double machine was second in the country behind Zach Eady and producing double doubles. Um, 1.4 blocks, 0.3 steals, uh, 56% from the floor, 73% from the free throw line did not shoot any threes. Um, any quick thoughts from you on Soriano? Basically the game right now is he is very good at cleaning up on the glass on both ends of the floor, gets a lot of putbacks, likes to swat at the ball. As I noted in the article, it's not like, oh, it's a putback dunk or it's a putback and I'm coming down with it. Very bizarre, like just bats the ball out of the air and makes it go in. Yeah, I always, I look at guys who get a large percentage of their offense from you know second chance points with a little bit of a skeptical eye. Because I think in the college level, your ability to crash the glass with the blessing of your coach is much higher than what you get in the NBA. I think NBA teams over the last decade or so have really started to prioritize transition defense as their main priority, as opposed to crashing the glass for second chance points. And then I think, quite frankly, NBA players are just better at doing the little things of boxing out and making sure that you're not going to win that one-on-one battle with your man. That's not to say that he can't still have a profound impact on the offensive glass, but you know he's not going to do what he did against Georgetown last year, which was oh, 11, Maxwell, 11 offensive rebounds in a single game. So uh, I like a lot of the, the motor uh, and instinct stuff that he has but I am always a little bit skeptical of those guys who get such a large portion of their offense from the offensive class. Yeah. I'm a, I'm of two minds about it. I, I think to one point, like I think everything you said is totally fair. I think my kind of counter to it is that if you have enough ancillary skills, it can be a productive way to just exist on the floor as a low maintenance player. Yep. Um, and when I'm talking about Soriano, like, this is the guy where I noted he's like probably like a top 100 guy. Like I, I he's not somebody I'm saying, like, oh yeah, he's going to like carve out a significant um, NBA role or be an NBA starter or anything like that. Um, with him, I think he's the guy that just like has a chance to get a foot in the door. And a big part of that is I think Soriano might shoot threes. And this Ooh. is kind of my, my hot take from the article is that um, he last year uh, per synergy took uh quite a large number of, of catch and shoot jump shots. Uh, Bartorovic had him at 145 shots classified as a long two, uh, far twos um, and synergy had him at 44.7% on catch and shoot jump shots. And they were all twos. And he takes a lot of these where it's, you know, he's, you know, going to set a screen and someone gives him the ball at the top of the key and he takes a jump shot and it goes in. Um, and he's a good free throw shooter. And Patino said that he's encouraging him this year to take a step back and, and shoot a couple threes. And I think he's capable of it. I think the shot looks great, consistently good free throw shooter. I'm kind of buying in. That's something he's going to be able to do now. And then. I like that. Yeah. Because, you know, mid range proficiency, I think is, is a fairly strong indicator of being able to stretch your range. We'll see if he can do it consistently, but it's a, it is a decent indicator in that regard. Uh, he ran some pick and pops last year too. Not too mm-hmm. many, but even though he's not taking those from three, like that is an action that with a, a really modern coach and a guy like Rick Pitino who can come in and, and run some, some good stuff for him in that regard 
really get, get the most out of. I'm, I'm just super excited for the St. John's team this year because they're, they're going to have a lot of really intriguing and sneaking prospects that I, I actually like quite a bit. I want to see how it all comes together. And Soriano being kind of the, the guy on the interior who does a lot of the dirty work, strong defender, but a really good rebounder anchoring things. Mm-hmm. Uh, he could have a really good year. Yeah. So some of my concerns with him, um, he doesn't block a lot of shots. Like he, he protects the rim in the yep. traditional sense. Like guys shoot a poor percentage at the basket against him, but not very fast off the floor, not a big time leaper better in space than I expected him to be going into the exercise, but like kind of slow with his hands. Like, I'm not sure that's what I want him doing at the next level, but he's not going to get killed in space. Okay. Pick and roll defender. I just have a hard time with big men where I'm like, Oh, you're not like great defensively in college. Like I, I I just kind of want to see that level. And I didn't get that from Soriano last year. Yeah. 2.3 stocks, steals and blocks Mm -hmm. per, per 40 minutes. Uh, which is a really low number for a big man. You yeah. you like to see that in the like three and a half to four range at the minimum. So uh, mm-hmm. for him to be a 2.3 is a little bit concerning. Like again, I think mm-hmm. he is a good, impact, positively impactful defender, but you want to project that moving forward in different exactly. ways. I don't really know if I feel like I'm there yet. Yeah, that that's my big hang up with him. And he's also going to be 24 and a half on draft night. So it's like, probably not hearing your name called like think about how good Serge Barty Rice was last season yeah you know what I mean like that dude was phenomenal and, yep. and yeah so yeah ha- you have to be when you're five years older than Jason Tatum yeah you do you do he's still 19 and a young 19 too he is um <laughs> so, uh up next last guy in the series Victor Locken from Cincinnati um a guy who could be in a great position if his East does, doesn't get to that eligibility waiver uh he is 6'11 um, 11.6 points, 7.1 rebounds last year. The big thing with him is the defense. Yeah. Uh, 1.4 blocks, 1.2 steals. Uh, very long, very much knows how to defend. Phenomenal at tracking the ball, whether that is for a steal or a block. Um, the way I say is like, he's like a shark smelling blood in the water. Like whenever guys make a mistake, whether it's like, oh, I, I picked up the ball and I shouldn't have, or, you know, I'm going to go up with this look and it's not the cleanest. Like he knows like now is my chance to rotate over and swap that now is my chance to poke it loose. Like whatever is going on, he is keyed in aware and, and ready to be where he needs to. And he's not the fastest, but he moves well. And he's not this crazy leaper, but he gets off the floor really easily. And he's not a load leaper. Like it's a very interesting game. I'm just not totally sold on what the carryover is going to be given his athletic profile. And I think he's pretty limited offensively. It's a lot of like hook shots and things like that, which he's, He's got touch, but he's allergic to shooting jumpers and he gets really bad tunnel vision. He does not pass. Um, so he's a guy where he's kind of more like the long shot guy in this group. Um, but I do really think that he has the ability to guard multiple positions. Do you have any strong t- takes on, on lock in one way or another? I, I really don't. Uh, you know, I, I think you summed up a lot of, of really what I've seen or noticed from him, like really good defensive player on the offensive end of the floor it's it's not great right now. If there's yeah. one area he's going to have to really improve, it's finding a way to show translatable skill to the next level. And anytime that you are a low field player, you don't make others around you better. You just kind of catch it and freeze and don't really know what to do with the basketball. Mm-hmm. I tend to hesitate a little bit. I, I look at the NBA finals and I, I'll just give you a little spoiler here, Maxwell. I'm yeah. lur- working on a huge project right now of mm-hmm. a lot of statistical analysis on guys who have made the NBA finals over the last couple of years and trying to look at their pre-draft statistics. 
mm-hmm. and see if there are any indicators for, yeah. you know, what allows a player to be successful in the NBA and part of a winning culture. And mm-hmm. one of them is that almost universally, and I don't have the, the full numbers in front of me, but every player has some sort of feel that you can really trace back to their statistics. There are yeah. not a lot of guys yeah. who have tunnel vision or incredibly low assist rates that end up impacting winning at the NBA level. So and it's, yeah. it's not my cup of tea. I'll just put it that way. That's, that's kind of where I settled with him is ultimately like, I think he's interesting. And I think he has a chance because anytime you're that size and you have that sort of defensive feel, I think there's a chance, but like yeah. I heard in the article, like he has this very modern defensive game and sort of like this archaic offensive mm-hmm. game where it's like, I don't pass. I get the ball on the block. I look for my hook shot. And that's it. And like his assist rate was lower than GT Jackson's last oh. year. Um, or no, I'm sorry. It was assist per 100 possessions. So like that, it just can't be like if he is an NBA, like I think he's a pro. I don't know that it's in the NBA is, is the thing. Like yeah. if you were going to be um, a defensive first big man and like you can't finish plays above the rim like Aziz or you're not as powerful and mobile as Amari Williams or like you've got to have some sort of extra hook yep. offensively. And if you're not going to shoot and you're not going to be that athletic and you're not going to set guys up as a playmaker, it's, it's a mountain. It's a mountain. Uh, it is. It is. And I think this Cincinnati staff is a, a pretty strong offensive minded staff as well, where there are mm-hmm. a lot of guys, whether it's head coach, Wes Miller, a couple of assistant coaches over there uh, who, who really know what they're doing on that side of the floor if he can't figure it out at Cincinnati, that's going to be pretty telling to me about, Mm -hmm. you know, what upside is there for him to continue to tap into at the next level. For sure. So uh, real quick, we're going to do some spoilers. Oh Uh, yeah. By the time this comes out, the article will be coming out tomorrow. Uh, So here's the list uh, for no son unturned, the unturned, the wings part one. So you've got three wing groups sort of just broken up, not in order of like how good I think they are, but rather just like, I didn't want there to be two guys that are like super similar in the same wing group. So you're not like just reading about the same type of player bunch. Um, Leading off the group, Michael Bell from VCU who played in the Espoir League last season. Uh, We've got RJ Lewis from St. John's, the second St. John's player to make this list. We have Wesley Cardet Jr. Yes. from Chicago State, who I interviewed last night. Uh, feel even better about him coming out of the interview. Great. Darian Williams from Texas Tech, previously at Nevada. And uh, number five is Rashir Fleming from St. Joseph's. So a real eclectic mix. I, 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 tweeted the other day, I think this is the most eclectic mix I've ever had, where it is a... Guy from the Espoir League, a guard skills wing who's really lanky, sort of a power wing in Wesley Cardet, who's just like a stat sheet stuffer. Uh, Darren Williams, who's like this high feel stat sheet stuffer. And then Rashir Fleming, who's just sort of I like what I see sort of bet uh, with good defensive tools. Any of those guys stand out or any guys that you're like particularly high on out of that group? I like Carded a lot at, at Chicago State. I do too. There, yeah. There's just something like confident and athletic moving. He looks like an NBA player in some mm-hmm. regard. But like, regardless of any of this, I can't wait to read read your piece that comes out. Like, you are the definition. You're living up to the name of the podcast here. You are drafting <laughs> deeper. You are finding these guys all over mm-hmm. the place. I absolutely love it. For sure. I'm, I'm really excited for it to come out. Hope everyone enjoys it when it comes out. Adam, what are some of the things that you've been working on? 
Uh, just talk about what you've been doing recently at Boxing One because you've had some some good stuff. You're getting me really hyped up about the 2024 guys. Uh, so go into a little bit about what you've been working on, where people can find it. Sure. So uh, again, thank you for for having me here. Uh, anybody who wants to find my work can do so on like I don't know if it's called Twitter or X or what the <laughs> what terminology. <laughs> oh, gosh, yeah, what am I, I supposed to, to use anymore? Uh, but you can follow me at the box and one underscore, which is where I link to all of my work, which is done both at YouTube and my Substack page. Uh, I did a big video breakdown, I think 17, 18 minutes long, on Ethan Almansa or Izzy Almansa, mm-hmm. who plays uh, with the G League Ignite this coming season with his overtime elite last year dominant international prospect and he's coming into the cycle number one on my board so go kind of read about him watch the video and kind of see my reasons why he is going to be the front runner for me right out of the gates i'm doing a lot of stuff on returning prospects right now i've actually uh, had aziz bandago broken down on my youtube channel already and i'm going to have wesley Cardit coming out in a couple of weeks here so Mm -hmm. i think that you and i are in lockstep on a few of these guys without a doubt but uh, I'm going to be a father within the next couple months. So yeah. I am letting like real life stuff kind of happen right now and not diving mm-hmm. too, too deep into the stuff. Uh, but I am trying to do some other behind the scenes projects. So if you don't see me as much on the YouTube or Substack side, putting out content, trust me, there's a healthy work-life balance going on here. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm trying to reclaim a little bit of family time, but also put in some, some work to this huge statistical project I got going on right now. For sure. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I've, you've had me on your show so many times. I finally got to return the favor. Nathan was out of town. I was like, I, I know just the man for the job. So appreciate you coming on. Go follow Adam on X slash Twitter at, at the box. One. Uh, yeah. And check out all his work. Check out game theory, with Sam. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you listen to game theory. Like I don't think people are, are discovering game theory from our podcast, but if you're not listening to it, you should listen to it. It's a great, great podcast. Sam's one of the best people in this space best. and has been for like a long time now. It rocks that he's still here. Uh, he's the best. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah absolutely so uh go check all that out make sure you subscribe to our podcast feed subscribe to our youtube channel and our Substack, stack no ceilings nba.com that's where we're gonna get my article tomorrow covering the next piece in the series go read the first one if you haven't and we appreciate you all for joining us have a great rest of your day